quick show note, you may notice a clicking or brushing sound during the interview. Uh, we apologize. There were some technical difficulties. Um, in the future, we hope to avoid such problems. Thank you. On this week's show, I interviewed Tasik Wong, visiting assistant professor at the University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Professor Wong has conducted studies on social media and is an expert on the strategies and tactics of persuasion. We hope you enjoy. Thank you for joining us. I'm really excited for the conversation. I've been thinking about this question for quite some time and as in, in, in terms of social media and news and, and marketing and how all of that interacts and plays together. So I was reading some of your work and one of the things that struck me was your uh, discussion of the distinction between relationship-oriented social media and content-based social media. Could you say more about that? Sure. When I uh, working on my dissertation, I did a literature review on social media research, and one strand of research was to define and categorize uh, different social media platforms. And I came across a number of studies where you divide these two different types of social media. One is relationship-oriented, and the other is content-oriented. So in relationship-oriented social media, you can can have Facebook, Twitter, and in content-oriented uh, type of social media, you have blogs, podcasts, YouTube, and Wikipedia. And content-oriented social media has different uh, outcomes as opposed to relationship-oriented social media. And in my dissertation, uh, where I looked at how people perceive public opinions about various social issues, and one of my findings was that there are different uh, impact depending on types of social media. For example, uh, relationship-oriented social media use has a significant correlation with uh, false consensus on gun control, whereas content-oriented social media use did not have any correlation with false consensus on con- uh, gun control. Uh, by the way, false consensus is the concept where people overestimate the uh, public opinion about the issue uh, they have interest or consent. So to be more specific, the more people use content or relationship-oriented social media like Twitter and Facebook, the more likely they tend to overestimate public support for their own view, supporting stricter gun control. But in the case of the job approval ratings of President President Donald Trump, neither type of social media use has a significant effect effect on false consensus. And the other hand, con- content-oriented social media use, uh, YouTube, blog, or podcast, positively correlated with the overestimation of public support for one's own position, supporting same-sex, same-sex marriage, being recognized. On the other hand, relationship-oriented social media use, which is Facebook and Twitter, has not significant relationship with false consensus on same-sex marriage. So, Altogether, my findings suggest that the two types of social media, relationship-oriented social media, content-related social media, play a different role in influencing people's perception of public opinion on some uh, political, public, uh, controversial issues. So I think 
distinction between these two types of social media can have different, sometimes significant effects on how we perceive or think about other people's opinions about the uh, some issues. How, how do you account for that that difference? Because my my thinking would be, or probably the conventional wisdom would be that relationship-oriented social media would have a stronger correlation with that false consensus than content-based. What, what do you think accounts for that? That's the <laughs> good question. But that's the another uh, research question that needs to be answered with different types of methods. Uh, in my uh, research uh, dissertation, I just used a survey uh, where I asked respondents to ask, uh, answer questions like this, how many times they use Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or uh, podcast. And this frequency of social media use uh, has been correlated uh, with first consensus on different types of social media, uh, different types of uh, issues, uh, social public issues. Uh, so I just looked at the relation or relationship association between these two variables. To answer that question, the question you asked, I have to use different types of methods, maybe, and you use a different theory. Uh, for example, use this gratification method uh, and theory and framework because uh, this research did not attempt to answer why. I just wanted to see if there is a relationship between uh, different types of social media use and first consensus. So uh, I don't have any definite answers to that question for now, but I can mm, look into some other research studies if there are some answers to that question. That's what I can say for now. <laughs> okay. So I, another question about relationship-oriented versus content-based. So in, in recent years, both Facebook and Twitter, mm -hmm. and, and to some degree, uh, YouTube as well, have been moving more into creating their own content, their own branded content, both you know entertainment-based and in some cases, even informational-based. Given that, mm -hmm. I'm not sure about the time frame of, of your, your, your study of this, do you think this distinction is as strong or as relevant as it used to be? Uh, yeah, but it's not just social media that's blur the lines between news, entertainment, and advertising. And it makes sense that consumers don't always think of investigative reporting, for example, when they think of news, uh, because news organizations are involved in a whole lot more, like living guides, car sections, sports, entertainment, uh, which diluted the perceived value of news. So I think it all boils down to to what extent to to which people question what they see and read. And my thought or my uh, intuition tells me that people usually wanted to hear what they want to hear and people want to see what they want to see. So we have to overcome that kind of tendency to make distinction between the verifiable or trustworthy news and other types of content, whether it's published by social media companies itself or news, news uh, media or some independent sources. Well, another, another point you made in, in your work was the idea of people using heuristics or short, shortcuts to determine credibility and trustworthiness. 
and you seem to find that uh, there weren't there wasn't much in the way of uh, shortcuts being used that are that are platform specific. For for example, a lot of people argue that on Facebook that because um, less credible news creators are are aligned with and get get a similar layout to more traditional quote unquote credible uh, news sources, that users have a difficult time distinguishing between the two, and they 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 conflate the two as both being equally trustworthy and credible. So th- that's another point in your in your work that my conventional wisdom would have thought that people were using uh, these platform based uh, shortcuts heuristics to determine what they should and should not trust say, say, say more about that yeah in my study on how uh, Twitter source uh, affects people's uh, perception of credibility of news items and the heuristics uh, or metrics generated by Twitter itself in my case retweets did not have any influence on people's perception of trust worthiness of news items, but that's not always the case. There are other research studies uh, where a group of researchers, uh, Mendoza, Bobletti, and Castillo, uh, investigated if there are different patterns between propagation of fake news, if you will, and verifiable news or verified news. And what they found is that if tweets or posts are considered fake news or false rumors, they tend to be more questioned by the Twitter community than news. So their conclusion was that the Twitter community works like a collaborative filter of information. So when you look at the social media posts, whether on Facebook or Twitter, you can see the people's comments. And if you see in those comments, a lot of users Refuting that specific social media post or questioning the trustworthiness of that information item or social media post, then you have red flags. So that's one way to detect fake news, false rumors uh, versus facts and verifiable news. And another way to be more conscious about the existence of uh, false news or fake news is to be it yeah it related to uh, your question that you uh, gave me earlier in your email so what steps can you just take to avoid fake news or manipulation manipulative strategies made by uh, advertisers or news organizations or other organizations so another way this is very important you may know that we live in filter bubbles or echo chamber especially on social media. And this uh, led back to what I told you in answering your earlier question. People hear what they want to hear and they believe what they want to believe. So that's why fake news succeeds. And for example, if you really hate Donald Trump or if you really hate Bill Clinton, you are much more likely to believe fake news that makes that person look bad. So we have to try to break this filter bubble. We have to try to get 
get outside of this echo chamber by exposing ourselves to news sources or social media posts or information items that may not align with our political ideology or our interests or our preferences. So breaking these filter bubbles or getting out of echo chamber uh, is very important. Yeah, but the problem with that is I don't know if people see platforms like Facebook and Twitter themselves as an echo chamber. So when 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 someone is using these platforms or even or even, you know, when we're talking about traditional media, something like Fox News or MSNBC, they don't always see the platform as the creator of the bubble. And so in, in the case of something like Facebook, a lot of people may just see Facebook as a source of news, period. Not understanding that behind the scenes, there's this algorithm at play that is serving them content that is creating the bubble. You know what I mean? Does that make any yes. sense? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. You're right. Uh, that's why we see more echo chambers happening on social media. Uh, social media platforms build up their own algorithms to feed news items or information items that fits better <laughs> with each and every social media users. And there are um, another uh, research that I wanted to mention. Uh, when I there there is a group of researchers who examined uh, how to detect and prevent clickbaits. In this case, in online news media, and they uh, developed browser extension, uh, if you will, that wants the readers of different media sites about the possibility of being baited by clickbaits. And this extension, the browser extension that these people made, uh, offers users an option to block, block clickbaits uh, that she doesn't want to see. Uh, so using such uh, option, the extension automatically blocks similar clickbaits uh, or similar contents uh, during her future visit. And their test of this uh, tool uh, performed very well, achieving 90-30% accuracy in detecting uh, and 80, almost 90% accuracy in blocking clickbaits. So one way that developers or social media companies themselves can provide users would be that tools such as this, a browser extension or some application uh, or features on uh, social media platforms themselves uh, that can offer social media users an option to avoid the content that looks like fake news or clickbaits. Uh, that's another way that companies uh, or developers can help uh, social media users to break out the uh, filter bubbles or echo chambers. And you're right. It looks like social media users do not give much attention to sources. They just read news articles on social media, whether it's Facebook or Twitter, and that's it. And But these social media posts or news items typically come from their friends and acquaintances and their colleagues, uh, people that they know. That's why why uh, we create these filter bubbles and echo chambers on social media in the first place. 
So I think uh, it goes back to diversifying your content sources. If you feel comfortable being exposed to those social media content items that are shared by your friends only, then it's more likely to for you to uh, get exposed to some false uh, rumors. So we have to intentionally try to look at the sources and question the sources and being critical and being skeptical of sources. And that's the job we have to do individually on uh, from the on the consumer size. Mm-hmm. Well there there are two conflicting assumptions here as well. So on the on the user side or consumer side, again, I'm I haven't done much research on this. It's been a while since I've done any research. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it I talked earlier about people not necessarily viewing the platform as the, the source of the bubble or the echo chamber. So there's there's this assumption, I believe, um, rather than no, I believe, where consumers or users see the platforms as a gatekeeper, much in the way that, you know, the traditional news sources, you know, the, the networks, uh, CNN, their local newspaper, were kind of parsing this information and, and, and making sure that it was valid. There's that assumption on the user side. Uh, so they're not treating these platforms that much differently than they would any other source of news. First, That's the first problem. The second problem on the platform side or the, the company side, they don't think of themselves as gatekeepers or even as media in the traditional sense of the word. So there's been a lot of pushback from both Facebook and Twitter on the idea that they are a news and media source, largely because if that, if that categorization of the changed, then their regulatory responsibilities would change as well. And that's not something that they that they want to fit in their business model. So we have these these two conflicting assumptions that lead to the creation of, of, of these problems. If you know what I mean? Yes. So yeah. So uh what's uh out of this conflicting assumption, what uh specific problem you want to address? Well if you if you take Let's let's just take CNN for example. Okay. So a organization like CNN vets both the the content producers that it employs and the information that it disseminates. Uh, so it's looking at at the qualifications of its people and its guests and the validity of its content. A platform like Facebook, they have a they have a much different motivation and incentive. Their primary goal is to put the information in front of the people who want to see it, irrespective of of its validity or or uh, uh, truthfulness. So social media platforms, and it's, it's kind of ironic that we have media in the name, and yet we don't classify these organizations as media companies Mm -hmm. because they would have to serve some sort of social good as you know broadcasters do Mm -hmm. so that creates that creates the problem where you have you really have no accountability on either side so the user isn't accountable for their consumption of the content and and the platform isn't accountable for its dissemination of the content so anyone can publish anything regardless of its truthfulness regardless of their credentials and have that be on par with more vetted uh, traditional news sources. Okay. I think this specific topic relates to uh, your question, what 
should platform owners or the government do to regulate this uh, activity or uh, mm. address this problem? And I found one uh, interesting uh, survey published by Statista, a database company. And the, the uh, report, the name of this title of this report uh, was Who's Responsible for Fighting Fake News Online? And you may know that uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg uh, wrote a piece that's eventually published in Washington Post op-ed page yeah. uh, where he acknowledged that social media companies like Facebook uh, have immense responsibilities and should be accountable for enforcing standards on content. But he also called for a more standardized approach uh, suggesting a more active role for governments and regulators. But the public's public opinion on this specific issue seems to be somewhat different from Mark Zuckerberg's thought. Because according to a survey, a poll conducted by Gallup, 96% of US adults think the, that internet companies or social media companies are most responsible for spreading only accurate and unbiased news, while uh, 16% see the government as most responsible. And interestingly, 38% of those surveyed think that the users themselves should be able to distinguish between fake and accurate news stories. So based on this survey result, uh, we can see that almost a majority uh, of the people surveyed in this uh, study think that independent companies, commercial companies, internet companies, social media companies should be more responsible for stopping spread of fake news or false news or biased news. And But about 40% of people surveyed also agreed that they have to be careful in distinguishing between fake and accurate news stories. And they, it looks like, probably do not want to want for government uh, to interfere with these issues. So according to uh, this survey, and this is my uh, opinion as well, I don't think the government should play a big role on this issue. The social media companies and the individuals, uh, individual social media users should do their part in helping stop the spread of fake news and detect the fake news and make distinction between false news and true news. We have to do our part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm of the of a similar opinion. I don't know. Even if there is government regulation, I feel like it would be difficult to achieve right. the, the, the end. Um, it's not like breaking up AT&T where your, your, your focus is on competition mm-hmm. and restoring competition. Mm-hmm. This really doesn't have any element of competition to it. It's more about you know valid information. So even if you were to break up Facebook into it, its constituent parts, mm-hmm. that still doesn't solve the problem of the content and how how it is, how it is, uh, how it's vetted. So I, I don't, I don't know. If regulation would be effective, even if, even if, if it were employed. Yeah. Also, the government regulation would be related to uh, the freedom of the press. So. 
uh, we have to take that into consideration as well. And speaking of uh, economic factor you just mentioned, uh, what's driving the this fake news phenomenon is a hyper-competitive online media marketplace seeking to capitalize on internet users or social media users' attention to bring in advertising dollars. So to address this problem, uh, I would also recommend reforming the structure of online advertising sales and giving users tools tools to investigate content. So here, again, uh, companies should do their part and consumers also need to do their part to help stop this vicious cycle. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the, the regulation on internet companies as it stands, when it comes to content, I forget the name of the of the law, mm-hmm. but it, it, it basically states that the, the platform has no responsibility in the content it distributes. Mm-hmm. So if it's if it's false or if it's incendiary or even uh, even if it's it, <laughs> salacious, it, it the responsibility falls back on the creator of the content, not the platform that distributed it. So that's a very different standard than what a what a CNN or a New York Times would have. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's why I uh, talked about uh, some of the tools that uh, social media companies could develop and provide social media users. Uh, I mentioned web browser extension, uh, web browser extension that can offer users uh, on a feature to block fake news or clickbaits. Uh, so social media companies like Facebook and Twitter have enough financial and human resources to develop these kind of tools. So if they could provide tools such as this browser extension uh, where social media users can opt to block some social media content items uh, they deem false or fake news, uh, then it could be much better for us to fight this uh, fake news phenomenon. And on the consumer side, as I say, multiple times, we had to be very skeptical of what we consume on social media, especially on social media. And this distinction between skepticism and cynicism, I'm not talking about cynicism. Cynicism does not do good uh, for our democratic society, but skepticism can have positive impact on our democratic society. And by cynicism, I mean uh, a feeling of mistrust or an absence of confidence in the political system or or media, mass media or mainstream media, if you will. But uh, by skepticism, I mean a questioning of uh, mass media or political system or content, whether it's on social media, on the website. So we need to be constantly uh, be questioning and skeptical of what we consume. That's our responsibility. Uh, without this skepticism, healthy skepticism, I would doubt that we could possibly uh, remove all, uh, this harmful uh, 
uh, phenomenon from our society. Do you think there should be a role for human curation in all of this? Uh, could you elaborate on your question? Well, I'm making this distinction between moderation and curation. Mm -hmm. So Facebook already employs a number of human or people who moderate the content on, on the site for things that violate its terms of service. Mm -hmm. What I'm what I'm talking about is, is more of a curation of information that has been vetted and validated uh, rather than just looking to remove things that are objectionable or uh, destructive in some way. So kind of kind of like having like your your local paper would have a, a copy editing staff mm -hmm. and a, a editor mm -hmm. uh, an editorial staff who look over the work of the the writers and commenta commentators. Okay, so you are talking about uh, the apples should be made by uh, humans uh, in detecting uh, fake news out of uh, our information ecosystem via manual method rather than automatic uh, AI-supported method? Well, no, I'm not saying that you replace one with the other. I'm, I'm suggesting you use both because there are limitations to AI as there are limitations to human curation. Mm -hmm. Right. So right. you use both mm -hmm. to kind of get the best possible end result. Sure. Uh, I would uh, agree with your opinion. We have to use some human uh, portion of uh, content analysis. When you do content analysis of any kind of content, whether it's news items or social media posts, uh, there are two different ways. As you know, you can use computer assist method, but you can do manual uh, content analysis by using, by training and using human coders. And both has pros and have pros and cons, but but given the sheer amount of data we collect uh, from social media platforms, the AI-powered method should be implemented, of course. But if you look at the result of uh, AI-powered or assisted content analysis, you we always you always uh, see that there are many limitations to this machine assist method because human created content is much more complex than machines could parse or dissect. Uh, so on the company side, on the uh, Facebook or Twitter side, they have to keep developing their predefined preset list of uh, words because when because they when they do uh, content analysis, they use this predefined preset uh, list of keywords, phrases, especially when they do uh, sentiment analysis. So by using human creation, human efforts, manual efforts, uh, you have to, as social media company, continue to develop uh, and build on preset list of words that are used to uh, categorize uh, social media posts. Uh, well, you could, if you, 
if you're using human curation and AI, mm-hmm. the human curation becomes another set of data points uh, mm-hmm. that can then be fed back into the AI to improve right. its ability to right. filter out right. content. Right. So we cannot and should not rely solely on the efforts made by these uh, commercial private enterprises like uh, Facebook and Twitter. And I know uh, there are a group of independent developers who are interested in creating algorithms and codes to help ordinary users to detect this fake news or clickbait or false rumors. So I think as uh, conscious, socially conscious and informed citizens, we also have a responsibility to support uh, and help financially, uh, especially uh, these independent uh, organizations. Uh, let me give you some examples. Um, there's a, a stopfake.org. Uh, this is journalism project out of Ukraine uh, that verifies facts and refutes false reports about events in Crimea covered in the media. And in South Korea, uh, there's an independent nonprofit organization called Citizens Coalition for Democratic Media that uh, constantly monitor news items that are published in various news media and websites and reports uh, some of their survey and honest result about the uh, fake news. And in the United States, you have Snopes.com, one of the first and well-regarded online fact-checking websites. So there are already these websites and non-profit organizations uh, that are not associated with government or commercial enterprises. So uh, as uh, citizens, we collectively support the efforts made by this independent uh, organization who uh, tries to uh, stop the uh, feature cycle of uh, fake news. Well, D- Dr. Wong, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the show. Please rate and subscribe. It really helps new fans find our show. And check us out on social media. As always, thanks for being a fan.